Thanks for tuning in to the Win With Vin podcast. And now, here's your host, Vinny Spiles. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Win with Vin podcast. I'm Vinny Spottleson, candidate for Nevada State Assembly in District 21. We're going to talk a little bit about youth homelessness and the social welfare system. I am a huge believer in social services. I think, you know, this is something that's really important that we provide our low income and uh, a community of folks that are having issues and I thought it would be good to get an experience of that sort of from the ground level view instead of having a kind of a high-minded policy debate. I want to see what, what those programs and services, what this is like for a person that's, you know, actually on the streets or that's it's living in that experience. And I thought, who better to talk to than my wife? Because she is the, uh, she's a manager at the Nevada Partnership for Homeless Youth. So uh, thank you so much, Emmy, for joining me on the show today. If you uh, don't mind, can you tell folks a little bit about the Nevada Partnership for Homeless Youth and what you do for a living? Sure. Nevada Partnership for Homeless Youth um, provides services for homeless youth uh, between the ages of 12 to 20, around 20. It's a, we provide wraparound services, including uh, emergency shelter, independent living program, which is a tra- transitional housing program. We have a, a program called Operation Go Home, which is a family reunification program, along with our drop-in center, which also provides a lot of supportive services for youth that are couch surfing, Uh, living in unstable living conditions. And we also uh, coordinate and facilitate the national program called Safe Place. In a lot of the states and cities around the United States, there's uh, Safe Place, and a lot of agencies coordinate and facilitate that. And so we're the ones that are the coordinator and facilitator for Southern Nevada. And so what that is, it's a 24-hour, seven-days-a-week program for any youth experiencing crisis that could be bullying, lost, running away from abusive or neglect situation in in family. They're evicted, kicked out. They don't have anywhere else to go. They could go to any Terrible Herbs gas station, RTC bus stations, or City of Las Vegas fire station uh, to access services. Again, it's a 24-hour, seven-days-a-week program, so anytime during the day or night, somebody can walk in and say, I need a safe place, and they'll be connected to the appropriate staff members so that they could get the services that they need. Great, and... uh... I know that sometimes that means that you're the one that's actually responding to those calls. So uh, at times, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate all the times at midnight or three o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday that you end up having to go out and get a kid to a safe uh, shelter, and uh, happens pretty often. You alluded a little bit to the definition of homelessness, and I think that's an interesting point because a lot of people, when they think homeless, they think a person that's literally sleeping on the street. But it's a little bit broader than that. Is that right? That's correct. There's a federal definition um, under the McKinney-Vento Act uh, that defines what a youth homeless or homeless youth is. A youth is defined 12 to 18, um, and a homeless uh, definition is anywhere. Um, basically, there's three categories: um, if they have a fixed, regular, or adequate nighttime residence. So that could be somebody who is living every week on a different place or somebody's couch. Uh, That could be someone that's living in an abandoned housing. Um, That could be someone that's living in a weekly. Um, And that's an epidemic here, right? We have tons of people living in weekly weekly motels. Right, 
Right. And so, yeah, the definition of homelessness could be a lot of different things. It could be that, you know, families that um, lost jobs and are getting evicted moving into another family's home. So there might be about eight to ten people in a one to two bedroom household, and that's considered homeless uh, if there's youth in there. Um, so, yeah, there's different definitions, um, but definitely street homeless uh, uh, youth that are staying in shelters, in parks, in cars. Um, there's a lot of that type of situation and those are also considered homeless. What do you think are the causes of youth homelessness? Why, why do people become homeless? I assume that there's not just one reason. Yes. Um, there's a lot of complicated, um, situation in homeless youth. It's not one issue. Uh, it could be anything from a family, uh, becoming evicted and parents might have somewhere else to stay or they could figure out uh, shelter services, but a youth that's 16 or 17 year old, uh, year old may not be able to go into an adult or family shelter because they're too old. So it could be a family dynamic situation or it could be sexual running away from a sexual or physical abuse, um, neglect or abandonment. There's lots of cases where you know, families or parents would leave their child um, because they think they're old enough to be on their own and they abandon them without really anything to prepare for. You know, falling through the cracks of the child welfare system, there's a lot of youth that are bounce around from foster homes to foster homes and then they're tired of it and they leave. Uh, you know, economic hardship, uh, parental substance abuse, uh, there's a lot of issues. And, you know, when we meet with these youth, it's never one one reason or one cause it's always a multiple things by the time they get to us they have already been through a lot of different types of issues that it's not just one solution either there's mm -hmm. a lot that they need to go through and in your opinion is our the situation in our community getting better or worse in terms of homeless youth i'd like to think that we're getting better at identifying homeless youth uh you know there's always different PRs and um, advertisement, I guess, to kind of bring awareness of this issue to the community because a lot of times youth homelessness is hard to see. When you imagine a homeless adult, a lot of times people think someone on the streets with a shopping cart, they look, you know, like they've been living on the streets. But youth homelessness is different because none, none of these teenagers or youth want to look like they're homeless. They, if you remember being in high school, you know, you don't, you want to have the, the newest clothing and newest thing that everybody else has. Um, a lot of times they're, you know, going to school, they're, they might be sleeping on the streets or with other people, but they're still going to school and they're blending in. So it's not something that's obvious. So yeah, I think identifying homeless youth and being aware of the situation is getting better at it. And that might mean that we're identifying a lot more homeless youth. I don't know if it's getting better or worse in a situation of kind of providing, but I do know that we're the fourth. Nevada is the fourth in the highest homeless youth rate in nationwide. Wow. So, you know, again, that could be because we're we're not able to provide enough resources for homeless families and individuals in Nevada just yet and and we're not really tackling the issue, right? Yeah, and you know, there are some who say and I, I think that a lot of this stigma or stereotype is perpetrated by certain elected officials within the Republican Party and certain radio hosts like Rush Limbaugh, but there's this idea that's uh, pervasive in our society that the homeless are just lazy. 
that they don't they don't want to work that that's the reason that people aren't wanting to pull themselves up from the bootstraps has that been your experience um in my experience working with homeless youth it's it's not necessarily i i don't think they're lazy at all i i think it's uh, kind of unfair in these situation because they were kicked out or they're running away without really being prepared to live independently on their own and so you know you have a 17 year old youth that runs away from an abusive or hostile situation because there's drug abuse going on in the family um they know that they're not doing what they're supposed to do because they're having to deal with a lot of uh, situations in home. And then you go out in the real world, they don't have birth certificates, they don't have social security card, they don't have IDs, they have really, you know, a lot of things that they really don't know even how to manage or get to. Um, and, you know, to have that stigma that they're lazy um, is really hard because there's so many barriers that they have to face in order to even start somewhere. Um, and so definitely lazy is not the word that I I would even think. You know, in order to help overcome these barriers, let's say, you know, a kid comes to your shelter and they have nothing. Where do you start? Um, we start where the, uh, the homeless youth or the client is at. So we want to address their basic needs first. So are they hungry? Do they need to take a shower? Do they need to sleep? We need to find out, you know, what it is that they need as far as their basic needs so that we could make sure that they're feeling safe and that they're healthy before we could tackle and, and figure out what the next thing is, the next step. Um, once they feel stable and safe, uh, we, you know, we have social workers. We have four licensed social workers at NPHY uh, that can uh, work with these clients. Um, you know, then we kind of figure out where they're at. Are they experiencing abuse and neglect and abandonment? Do we need to work with the Child Protective Services to figure out what the home life situation is and where we need to get them to become stable and become safe? Or do we need to find a different uh, program? You know, are they 18 years old or, or are they able to get into and enroll into a program, a homeless transitional housing program? And, and, and social workers are there to help out kind of identifying those needs and figuring out what the best fit is. Um, of course, we also have a family reunification program. So do we need to uh, mediate a family situation? Do we need to figure out, you know, where or who is a stable and safe uh, family member that they can reside with? And once that's identified and once we figure out all the components of what's going on, we could uh, uh, help them facilitate to get to that uh, place so that they could start becoming an independent and learning how to um, become a, a, you know, a, an adult mm. in this world. Well, what sort of welfare services and uh, public assistance does the state offer? Nevada offers, I mean, in my experience, a lot of the youth uh, receives Medicaid for health insurance, SNAP benefits for food stamps, and, and possibly disability benefits. Let's talk a little bit more about Medicaid. It's a huge program. I've, I've heard that it's about $2.9 billion uh, uh, that Nevada spends on uh, Medicaid every two years. So can you take me through the process of applying for Medicaid? Sure. So uh, when I've, in my experience working with um, the youth, uh, homeless youth that are applying for health insurance, uh, basically they would um, apply online on Nevada Health Link. 
Once they complete all the required uh, questionnaires and documents, uh, they would be given an option um, that's kind of based on their income. A lot of times our homeless youth don't have any income, so they would qualify for Medicaid services. Once uh, the system identifies that, they would send their application to the welfare, uh, Nevada State Welfare Office. Um, once they're in the welfare system, um, they, I believe, have about 40 days for the caseworker to be assigned and kind of look at their um, application. So it'll take 40 days for them to... Possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, they have within 40 days to get uh, basically uh, set up with Medicaid. Um, In that process, again, I'm going back to the barriers, but um, these individuals would have to have their birth certificate, social security card, I believe their ID too, to even start getting those health insurance. So a lot of times we're working with youth that don't have anything, so we're kind of doing a lot of things all together, but trying to get those documents ready in order for them to get uh, into uh, health insurance, get connected to health insurance. Once they uh, are there, um, one of the things that I've realized in the last couple years is um, they have an option to choose uh, different types of Medicaid programs, Mm -hmm. and it could be Amerigroup or Health Plan of Nevada. What I've realized in the last few years is that once they do get, once they choose a a health insurance and they get connected with Medicaid, um, it's also hard to find providers that take those insurances. So... Um, one of the things that is um, kind of really hard to navigate is to figure out if they need to use Amerigroup or if they need to use Health Plan of, Health Plan of Nevada because I've realized that with some questioning different healthcare providers, uh, dentists may not take Amerigroup as much because they have their own reasoning of why they don't take Amerigroup. But mental health facilities may not take Health Plan of Nevada as much for whatever reason. Um, so then we're having these youth and individuals that are maybe homeless and, and, and trying to figure out their way, you know, deciding these health insurance and then finding out that none of the things that they need, they can, they, they're not even be uh, able to see a doctor because they're not covered by their insurance. Wow. Um, so if you can imagine, even as an individual, it's hard enough to navigate through that whole process. But as a homeless youth, it's uh, really hard. And a lot of times they get discouraged and they just kind of um, don't even want to go through with the process. And then they're neglecting their mental health needs. They're neglecting their health needs and dental needs and becoming, you know, their physical and mental health are becoming poorer and poorer. And it's, uh, it's really hard to kind of even figure out what they need to do as far as employment or education when they're not even addressing their uh, health needs. Well, and this seems huge to me because if this is something the state is spending almost $3 billion every year or two on, it should be something that's really easy to use. It should get something that's very user-friendly for that money. Right. And going back, you said another service people provide are SNAP benefits. They're also called food stamps. This is another huge issue. You know, I remember when I was working for Senator Reed's office, even though... Uh, we had the majority in the Senate, we had the presidency, because the House majority uh, was in the Republican hands when we were negotiating the Farm Bill. Part of the compromise to pass the Farm Bill involved $4 billion of cuts to food stamps nationwide, which I thought was just horrible. Um, can you describe what uh, the process is like for food stamps and, and um, you know, what it's like just for, you know, for any of our listeners who have never gone through that experience? 
if they're identified as a homeless individual, there is actually a route that they could go through. If they go to um, the welfare office, uh, they could actually get an emergency SNAP card where they would put the um, amount that they're qualified for uh, the following day. So within 24 hours, they'll be able to get these food benefits, which is really important to them because, I mean, you know, homelessness is not something that you, that could wait. If you're homeless that day, you can't wait 40 days or 30 days to wait for food benefits. Um, and in, in my experience, um, it is obviously um, income-based, and it's uh, it's definitely a difficult thing to apply for. You know, a lot of times when when people have the stigma over people that are on food stamps, um, you know, imagine yourself applying online waiting a while, going to an appointment, waiting almost half a day or maybe even a full day to even see a worker at the welfare office just to get these uh, benefits and it's income-based. So for the people that are not making any income, like our homeless youth, um, they may actually qualify for about $190 per month. So if it's income-based, some people are getting less than that. Um, so, you know, I imagine, I mean, these are needs. These are not something that people just go and get it really quickly and that they're taking advantage of. They're, you know, they're, they are taking multiple days and multiple times actually providing these proof of income and, and getting qualified for these amount. Um, so I think it's really important to get food stamps for low-income families and individuals and, and even homeless individuals. What do you think will happen if we continue to cut food stamp benefits? I think people would starve, and then you would have a lot of increase in um, the needs of homeless agencies and low-income family agencies that need to um, cover those costs. Um, and, you know, in, in the example of homeless youth, I think food stamps is really a great also program for uh, teaching life skills like budgeting. Um, you know, a lot of times I see individuals that have gone through homelessness um, they're in survival mode, so they're actually trying to take, you know, as as much food as they can, so that in case it, that they don't have food for the next week, they still have it. That that is also a, an issue in itself because once they're in a stable location or stable place, they might still feel like they're in survival mode, and they're still um, feeling like they they need to um, th that kind of kind of cross over into somewhat hoarding. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's, there's a huge problem with that. So by having food stamps, I think it allows an individual to learn how to budget through each month and try to actually cook their meals and actually, and, and those are type, and those could relate to a lot of health um, things too, because instead of eating out of the dumpster or eating something that's uh, really easy to cook, like on a microwave, th those are things that actually can affect your health. And um, I think food stamps, I don't think, it should ever be cut. Okay. What happens if an undocumented child walks into your center? You know, they're not going to receive any of these benefits. Is that true? That's true. Um, they don't. Um, they don't qualify for any of the the state provided. Uh, so, are there any services for undocumented youth in our community? Not at this time. Um, I mean, there's ways to. Uh, you know, a lot of our undocumented youth that we see at our uh, at our programs are um, actually victims of crime and victim of human trafficking. Um, there is a route for them to uh, get certain types of 
visas, you know, whether if it's a work visa or a visa to stay in the, the United States. And then if they go through that process, which is almost a couple years, then they may be able to qualify for certain state benefits. But until then, they're, you know, they're relying on um, support system that may not be there. Uh, you know, they, they really don't have anything that they could actually. So what do you say access. to those who just say, we'll send them back to the country they came from? I've met youth um, who've been in the United States since they were one, two, or three. When they were interviewed about that same question, um, he, he and she, they all would say um, that they feel more like an American than... Whatever country they came from, yeah. Um... So you earlier you brought up that mental health is a huge issue uh, with the youth that you deal with. Do you um, do you think we have enough mental care facilities in Nevada? Is that a problem of of crowding? We, we've heard about this before with patients being shipped to other states mm -hmm. um, because of our lack of uh, care facilities here. Have you seen any of that? Um, I, I'm not quite sure on if we have enough, but I think it kind of goes back to with the barriers that I've seen with a lot of our clients is that um, they're unable to access these health, uh, proper health care because of insurance complications or because they're minors. Um, so, you know, if they don't have a supportive parent that's going to be willing to, you know, uh, consent for these medical uh, uh services they're unable to see it and they're also afraid to go see actually healthcare providers because they think they think that they're going to be turned into their abusive home situation if they go see a doctor um so you know in nevada we have a nevada right to shelter law that allows homeless youth between the ages of 12 to 17 to be able to consent for their own food shelter medical services counseling um so that they can actually you know um feel safe to be able to get those things. Um, however, you know, it's still kind of in the process of educating those healthcare providers to know those laws that they're able to actually provide those healthcare services for minors. Mm. And, you know, I know uh, you don't work for child protect protective services, but if there actually is abuse going on in the home, like what you're talking about, a lot of these kids are running from, that's the service that responds to those sorts of incidents traditionally. Mm -hmm. And so what happens if, uh, Child Protective Services or CPS gets involved, what do they do? Um, generally, if we refer any uh, cases to the Child Protective Services, they would have to come and interview the youth, um, depending on what the situation is. Um, so generally, they would interview the youth of what's going on and what's the alleged abuse or neglect. They would go interview the family members to kind of confirm certain information and then try to uh, see what they need to do in order to help the family. Um, you know, there used to be a certain stigma, I'm not sure if there is, that CPS workers are there to remove a child from a home, but they really are actually trying to keep the families together until there's clear, clear uh, proof that the family is not able to care for that, for that child. And then they would have to remove them and, and place them in foster homes and whatnot. Um, in my experience, it's it's very difficult because I, f I feel like Child Protective Services workers have a lot of caseloads um, that they're unable to kind of keep up with. So a lot of times if you're working with 16 and 17-year-old homeless youth with any abuse or neglect situation, it's kind of on the back end because you have other minors under the age of 16, 14, and I mean way on 
under that are going through that type of situation that they need to keep, um, you know, keep the uh, situation going. So a lot of times 16 and 17 year old, maybe even 15 year olds are kind of not being paid attention to that much because it's not as they think that they're old enough to kind of figure out on their own. Compared to like little kids. Right. So, and it seems like not having enough staff is a common problem uh, throughout all the service and homeless agencies around uh, the valley. Mm-hmm. Um, you, is, you know, you see this uh, happening around town where there's not enough social workers for the actual caseload? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've uh, seen agencies where they may have hundreds of clients and families they're working with, and they might only have 10 to 12 case managers or social workers working for those. So if you can imagine one person having 30 caseloads um, and, you know, in a 40-hour week, work week, I, I, it's, it's hard to imagine that they're even meeting with these families and clients to address their needs. Um, so it's a big issue that there's not enough um, support, there's not enough resources, and there's not enough uh, um, staff members to actually address these issues. Yeah, and I, I know you can't name any specific names, uh, but is it possible to give our listeners a sense of, you know, either a specific story or anecdote that you might have about a time that CPS got involved and, in, in, you know, something that you've seen uh, happening and how uh, a kid can kind of slip through the cracks in a way? Yeah, um... I had a pretty young child who uh, was basically in a homeless situation as a family. Um, they were living in a shed with no plumbing or electricity. They were dumpster diving on a daily basis to get food. Um, and this, this was all kind of facilitated by even the parents. Um, one day there was a alleged abuse uh, that happened with the mother's boyfriend to this youth, um, and that kind of triggered um, this youth to actually access our services. Uh, we reported everything to CPS. Um, and I think a lot of the issues kind of happen in like maybe the more upper pol- policy area. There's a lot of limitations for CPS workers to do the right thing, I guess. Um, so with this really young youth, um, you know, it was very clear that there is no uh, structure. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, just regular skills that were missing. I mean, you know, you take him to the store and would take groceries without paying because nothing was not a lot of things were taught to this youth um after the uh the worker had uh came and interviewed the youth uh, they had stated that it was the family's homeless so there's no abuse or neglect but the family's homeless so they just need help but in order to get help they needed an address for the family members but there's no address because they live in a shed where there was really no address. So I had indicated we could probably take the youth with them and point out the location, but they could not see the youth or take the youth without parental consent. So it was a really difficult limitation on they couldn't do anything. And it got to a point where we actually had to take the youth to Child Haven and say, look, you guys need to figure out, or you guys need to pay attention to this youth. This youth needs help. He's, he or she is too young to be in our program. Um, or any transitional living program. Um, And it's clear that this youth needs a lot of help and a lot of structure. Um, And so until we said the keyword that this youth could no longer stay in our shelter and no longer have any other living option was the point where CPS were able to take him into custody. Well, they're letting letting it get that far. Right. Um, Well, I want to ask one last question, and uh, that's, you know, the juvenile justice system. You've probably seen a lot of clients who've been in and out of 
you know, prison or jail or juvie. Um, do you have any thoughts on that system and, and how it works and, and its relationship to our homeless youth problem here in, in Las Vegas? Well, I think going back to kind of the beginning that, you know, any homeless situation is complicated. It's not just one cause. And um, by the time we do see some of the youth come to our uh, shelter or our programs, they may have been in and out of um, homes, in and out of foster homes, in and out of ju juvenile justice system. Um, it, I think, you know, in general, I think there needs to be a little bit more attention and and being more preventative about situation when we identify something we need to flood the resources to that family and and try to prevent anything from happening further um, but the the fact is that i think that's kind of missing and so a lot of times kids are going in and out of juvenile justice system for something like abuse in the home and they're on the streets because they rather be on the streets than be home um and then they could get, they're more susceptible, susceptible to being into gangs, uh, victims of human trafficking, victims of sexual assault. Um, and so the longer that they're on the streets, the more likely that they're going to get into bigger trouble um, and, and substance abuse and mental health issues. And, and that could really get too out of hand to a point where a youth has been in jail and prison before they even turn 21. Wow. Well, uh, you talked about um, sexual abuse and, and assault, and that's a huge topic area that we're going to actually move to a uh, next podcast. We're bringing a few more uh, women to talk about, um, but we're out of time here. So I just want to thank you so much, Emmy, no my dear wife, for joining on the <laughs> podcast today. Uh, and uh, folks, be sure to check in next time. Uh, you can always check me out at winwithvin.org, make a small donation. And if people want to... Uh, uh, take a look at uh, NPHY or learn more about your organization, where should they go? Um, they could also check out our website, which is uh, nphy.org. Um, they could also come visit us at our drop-in center um, and learn more about how they can donate, volunteer, um, and get to, you know be a part of uh, spreading awareness to the community. Great. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please share it. And don't forget to win with Vin. The Win with Vin podcast is paid for and authorized by the committee to elect Vinnie Spottleson.